Hi there, this is Rachel Gable at the Fence Post Magazine. For our inaugural issue of the Fence Post Magazine and Tri-State Livestock News podcast, I've gathered up stories and articles from the past couple of issues of both magazines to put together for you. One of them is written by Carrie Stadheim, and it's the story of two different farmer-rancher turned soldiers, one from Nebraska and one South Dakota, from South Dakota. Another is a win for common sense in the Colorado Supreme Court for a feed yard. Another, a tribute to farm broadcaster Brian Almer. Another is the BLM gather in the Sandwash Basin that is happening right now. And finally, brand new, I just gave it this very morning, my testimony to the uh, Congressional Redistricting Commission here in Colorado. We have a lot to get through. Thanks for joining me. We remember, U.S. soldiers reflect on time and Middle Eastern conflict, Lives Lost, by Carrie Stadheim, from Tri-State Livestock News, September 13th edition. Although Tyler Placencio was in seventh grade, he recalls vividly the news of the hijacked planes being flown into the Twin Towers and the stories of lives lost, of chaos and destruction of September 11th, 2001. But he also remembers the sense of community across the country. When that happened, I remembered very much the unity we felt, he said. That is a time I haven't seen since. We're just so split. Placencio, who joined ROTC in 2007 and served in the Army Reserve from 2007 to 2019 and was put into active duty in the Army and deployed to Afghanistan in December of 2012, said the summers he spent working on his grandfather's Nebraska ranch were instrumental in guiding him to join and serve in the military. Placencio relied on the skills and mental toughness he learned from his granddad, Lee Hewson while helping on his Mitchell, Nebraska ranch during the summer. In fact, it was his granddad who inspired him to don the uniform. My granddad was a body counter in Vietnam. Working with him on the ranch, I got to learn a lot of history and hear memories that he didn't share with others. He was a tough guy. Out of respect for him, I didn't feel like I would be able to look at myself in the mirror if I didn't serve. I wanted to be a fraction of the man he was said the long days spent with Hewson helped get Placencio in a frame of mind that lent itself well to military service. Him being a cowboy is what it was all about, he said. He was a cowboy through and through. He wasn't going to back down from anything. Anything I would go through in the army, it was like a hard day's work on the ranch. It seemed like nothing I could go through would be as difficult as what he had been through. That attitude helped me get through a lot. I tried to emulate his attitude of never giving up. The trauma and violence in Afghanistan were real, said Placencio. We got hit with rockets all the time, he remembers. There was more than one time that he was sure he would die and had calmly accepted his fate. Maybe we were in a helicopter just weeks after another one had been shot down and crashed, he said. He was aware of many soldier deaths, including some killed by Afghan soldiers who may have been Taliban spies or may have simply turned on the Americans for cultural or other reasons. Placencio and his unit returned home safely in 2013. 
post-deployment, being able to share and discuss wartime thoughts and memories with his granddad was helpful, he said. When I came back and I was working on the ranch, I would say, wow, I was just in Afghanistan a month ago, but it feels like forever ago. My granddad would respond, I was in Vietnam years ago, but it feels like yesterday. Although he didn't lose fellow soldiers while on the front lines in Afghanistan, Placencio has lost comrades since then to suicide. Placencio said he is thankful that he was with his grandfather when he died in, the May, in May of this year. My granddad and I were close, he said. We had a bond. He's actually the first person I saw die. Ag background. Corey McKinstry grew up on a farm and ranch near Bison, South Dakota, and has spent much of his adult life farming near Miller. His ag background has also helped him tremendously with his military service. McKinstry served a tour in Iraq in 2003 and 2004. In agriculture, you wear a lot of different hats, McKinstry said. You are diversified in what you can do, which has benefited me in my military career. I'm not just stuck in a rut as far as my job. I can fix a truck, set up an AC unit, wire electrical stuff, just like being on the farm or ranch. South Dakota is known for its superior National Guard units. And in fact, the 200th unit was honored with the Itchner Award in 2015, which recognizes the most outstanding U.S. Army engineering company across the the entire nation. Many of his fellow soldiers also have agriculture experience, said McKinstry. 90% of my guard unit is in some way, shape, or form tied to an ag background. Either they grew up on a farm or ranch or in a farming community or helping their uncle or something along those lines, he said. Coming from the background I did helped me with my military career more than anything. Placencio recalls the aftermath of September 11, 2001, when the country pulled together in support of our freedom and the thousands of families who lost loved ones in the terrorist attacks. The country was also united in its support of a U.S. military presence in Afghanistan, he said. What were we supposed to do? asked Placencio rhetorically. They were hosting those, these people who attacked us. I don't see any other option at that point in time. Placencio said when he was deployed to Afghanistan, the plan at that time was to pull troops out much sooner. We thought we'd be out of Afghanistan by the end of 2014, he said and his assignment was preparing equipment for transport back to the U.S. Our main function was making sure paperwork was correct on all containers, making sure they were seaworthy, airworthy, railroadworthy, he said. Placencio appreciated his mission, which allowed him to spend time on the ground rather than in an office. The purpose of the American military in Afghanistan was to help set up a democracy, said Placencio. We were trying to train a national army to handle itself, much like in Iraq, much like in South Vietnam. We tried to set up a different government that wasn't run by the Taliban and based on religious beliefs. But an end to the war was needed, Placencio believes. If not now, when? Another 20 years, he said. Placencio's thoughts are with the families of the 13 servicemen and women who died recently in the war in Afghanistan, along with the more than 2,000 who have died since 2001. It is so tragic, he said. War casualties. Placencio and McKinstry are troubled by the recent recent casualties, as well as those throughout the past 20 years. It brings me great sadness to hear what's going on, said McKinstry. I'm angry and disappointed. My heart goes out to those families who lost a loved one. 
Although it wasn't a waste of time, it almost feels like it was. Yes, we made a difference, but it feels to the soldier that it was just all for naught. They are a brutal, ruthless force, he said of the Al-Qaeda. While in Iraq, McKinstry's unit's primary mission was to construct a float bridge across the Tigris River to add mobility to U.S. and Allied troops. After the bridge was in place, they secured the bridge and ran presence patrols in local villages. They also ran a detention center for people apprehended uh, for attacks against U.S. and Allied forces. <clears throat> Another assignment was conducting humanitarian missions, which included distributing currency and rebuilding infrastructure, which included waterworks in nearby cities. They greatly impacted the day-to-day -day lives of the civilians. Girls couldn't go to school, he said. But while we were there, they started being able to go to school. We were making sure they went to school. They would stop and visit with the troops, and we'd tell them to get to class. He remembers. Both men said that the U.S. involvement in the crisis was needed, and neither regrets his time there. As a good human, we should feel for them, said Placencio. We can say, who cares what happens? It's not our country. But I feel bad for the Afghan people. Look at Iraq. They have a government that we helped set up. Afghanistan won't have that. It all fell apart when we left. But Placencio adds that eventually the American support would need to lessen. And with such cultural differences, training an army in that country was difficult. Just teaching the new soldiers was difficult, for instance, because it was seen as a personal attack, he said. They can't take criticism. They take it personally. Their culture is so different. The two servicemen agree that the war in the Middle East is unlike previous wars fought. It was a different war than wars past. Nobody was in uniform except us. Anyone standing alongside the road could have been the enemy, and many times they were, said McKinstry. We all felt justified in being there. We went there and made a difference and changed things for the better, said McKinstry. It's frustrating to see what's going on. Those people didn't have a life, and now it's been, been turned back to that. The money and time we wasted is beside the point, but the lives and the people that were lost there, that's the thing that rubs everyone wrong, he added. Patriotism seems to be a bit more pronounced in recent days with the drawdown from Afghanistan, said Placencio. He hopes to see it continue. McKinstry, who took a 10-year stint out of the National Guard, re-enlisted in 2017. To see the troops pulling out weighs heavily on him, knowing that life will return to a difficult normal for the Afghans. We are soldiers for a reason, no matter what branch you're in. You are there for a reason, and you want to do a job well and see it to completion, he said. Narrow five-star feedlot, Supreme Court ruling, a win for common sense by Rachel Gable from the Fence Post magazine, August 27th issue. Near the South Fork of the Republican River and Hale Ponds in Yuma County, Colorado, Five Star Feedlots Incorporated operates a 25,000 head lot. After six years entangled in the courts, the Colorado Supreme Court ruled in favor of the feedlot, a victory for agriculture in a state increasingly unfriendly to the $7 billion industry. In 2015, three days of heavy rains, described in court documents as a rainstorm of historic proportions, hit the area, dropping more than six inches of rain. The result was overflow from and a partial breach in one of the feedlot's 24 million gallon containment ponds. 
about 500,000 gallons of wastewater and rainwater escaped the pond's banks. Several days after the storm, the Colorado Division of Parks and Wildlife recovered 379 dead fish from the river and 1,389 dead fish from Hale Ponds. The wildlife referred to is identified in court documents as the southernmost population of the brassy minnow, a threatened species in fish like the stone cat and orange throat darter. The state filed a complaint against Five Star, authorizing the DPW to bring a civil action against any person in the name of the people of the state to recover possession or value or both possession and value of any wildlife taken in violation of Articles 1-6. to Those articles refer to any non-game wildlife in need of management by determination of the commission. Species or subspecies of wildlife indigenous to the state determined to be threatened within the state and wildlife that is the property of the state. The state estimated that based on the dead fish collected, about 15,000 fish died. The loss was valued at $625,755. A dangerous precedent. Chris Carrington, a Denver attorney, said his is the third firm to represent Five Star and said a dangerous precedent was narrowly avoided. He said he was less excited about prevailing than he would have been devastated had they not. The filing, he said, began June 1st, 2016, under former Attorney General and former gubernatorial candidate Cynthia Kaufman and reached a conclusion in May of 2021 under AG Phil Weiser. The only voluntary act these guys engaged in was lawfully operating a business, he said. The fish died from a discharge that they didn't cause and couldn't have caused, and they were in full compliance with CDPHE regulations. Carrington said he has represented multiple small businesses against the current Attorney General's office and said the office does, quote, whatever they think they can get away with, and they get away with a lot. I've seen so many meritless prosecutions by the Attorney General, and this one was just shocking because it felt like an attempt to use the statute in a new way to generate revenue without regard for the policy behind it, which is crushing these small businesses, he said. My client spent a lot of money through a number of law firms to survive this. Kaufman and then Weiser, nobody cared about that. Carrington said if the issue is between CDPHE regulating containment ponds or the issue, there's opportunity for dialogue between agencies and agriculture to adjust regulations. This is an illustration, he said, of the importance of a judicial system that is separate from, not influenced by, and divorced from the executive branch. If Mr. Polis had his way, or Mr. Weiser, I don't know what that would look like for our industry, he said. In the end, it felt like a win for common sense. In their appeal, Five Star filed a motion to dismiss, asserting that it hadn't taken any fish. The motion was denied in district court, and the state then argued that the fish had died and the liability fell strictly on Five Star. In turn, Five Star argued that the state must prove that the feedlot acted with the culpable mental state of knowingly and performed an unlawful voluntary act, but had presented evidence of neither element and failed to establish a genuine issue of material fact on the issue of causation in opposing Five Star's summary judgment motion. The district court sided with the state, implying that Five Star had taken the fish by killing the fish and that the liability was Five Star's to bear. The feedlot was ordered to pay $625,755 to the state.
In an appeal, Five Star said it was not liable for the fish's death, in part because the state had presented insufficient evidence as to the cause of the fish's death. The Court of Appeals reversed the 2019 District Court decision, agreeing with Five Star's appeal that it had not both acted knowingly and committed an unlawful voluntary act by which it killed or otherwise acquired possession of the fish. Following the split decision by the District Court, the state petitioned the Supreme Court to review the case. Supreme Court ruling. In the Supreme Court decision, they wrote that they applied the same legal standard as applied in a 2016 case, City of Longmont v. Colo Oil and Gas Association. In 2020, the state legislature amended the definition of take to exclude the accidental wounding or killing of, live, of wildlife by a motor vehicle, vessel, or train. The state's highest court reviewed the record from the Court of Appeals and discerned that a state has conceded that Five Stars containment ponds comply with all relevant Colorado laws. The Supreme Court concluded that the state did not present evidence in knowing conduct or evidence of a voluntary act that is itself illegal, proving the district court erred. In short, according to the opinion published, the state claimed the discharge of wastewater and rainwater from one of the feedlot's containment ponds killed the fish. However, the discharge was triggered by a rainstorm, which was not an act performed by Five Star, or an act Five Star undertook, quote, consciously as a result of effort or determination. The evidence, according to Carrington, was shaky at best. Quote, the fifth pond in their series overflowed, went into a ditch, went into a culvert, which then joined with another culvert, which then met up with another ditch. It was like three and a half miles before it got to the river, he said. Over those three and a half miles, water was coming from everywhere. Fertilized fields, it's collecting water from everywhere, and they pinpointed my guys three and a half miles from the river, as responsible for 15,000 counts of unlawful taking. It was totally insane. Carrington warns that the case illustrates the importance of agriculture producers remaining vigilant and being cautious when agreeing to or settling actions, as each fine emboldens CPW to use statutes in similar ways. In a 2019 article in Colorado Public Radio News, prior to the Supreme Court ruling, Lauren Truitt, a spokesperson with CPW, said the agency is still digesting the decision, but called the suggestion that the agency was trying to make up revenue with the lawsuit a, quote, gross mischaracterization. This wasn't an attack on big ag, she said in the article. This was really a last resort. The Supreme Court's decision was in favor of Five Star in a 4-3 to three ruling. Chief Justice Brian D. Boatwright, Justice Richard Gabriel, Justice Carlos Samor, Jr., with Justice Monica Marquez concurring in judgment only, and Justices William Hood III, Melissa Hart, and Maria Birkencotter dissenting. In a guest editorial by Clayton Calvin and Jake Fogelman, members of the Future Leaders Program, at the Independence Institute, the pair said the Supreme Court, quote, narrowly staved off a troubling precedent this time and said that the state is on a, quote, increasing trajectory of increasing antagonism toward rural Coloradans. The case, the two wrote, 
demonstrates the state's newfound willingness to go after family-owned agricultural operations and details the state argument that, quote, even if Five Star's conduct were considered a negligent accident, it was still able to both accidentally and knowingly kill the fish at the same time. Pope Farms Corn Maze and Pumpkin Patch, just north of Wiggins, Colorado, is the place to come for green chili, all sorts of different produce, and a brand new you pick them and you take your photos sunflower field, as well as the pumpkin patch and the corn maze. This year, I worked closely with Cynthia Pope and Pope Farms to come up with the maze design, which is agriculture is the ticket for Colorado. As visitors from uh, less agriculture inclined communities visit the corn, corn maze and pumpkin patch, they can use QR codes on signs, each that has an ag fact about Colorado. They can click on the QR code and they're taken to a video that is linked specifically to reach out to our more urban neighbors to help uh, them find out more about agriculture. Pope Farms Corn Maze and Pumpkin Patch is located off Highway 34, just north of Wiggins. And the portion with the green chili and the sunflowers opens these next few next two weekends and the pumpkin patch and corn maze will be open saturdays and sundays all through october you can find them on facebook pope farms corn maze and pumpkin patch blm gather moves forward despite polis and reese's attempts to freeze rachel gable the Fence Post Magazine, September 3rd. Colorado Governor Jared Polis appealed to Interior Secretary Deb Haaland, asking her to pause the emergency gather of 780 wild horses in the Sandwash Basin. Despite his request to leave the horses in the drought-stricken area in northwestern Colorado for six months, the Bureau of Land Management gather began as scheduled on September 1. In Governor Polis's two-page letter, that also included the signature of First Gentleman Marlon Reese. Polis said he believes the state, quote, can work more collaboratively with the BLM to effectuate more scientific and humane outcomes to herd management. He went on to urge Secretary Hallen to freeze any planned roundups with the hope that a better outcome and better communication with stakeholders can be achieved and potential opportunities for state engagement can be more fully explored. Polis encouraged Secretary Hallen to collaborate with advocates and to recognize the nonprofit community as a partner in adoptions, care, and oversight. He also said he has spoken to experts who disagree with the BLM's assessment of the drought-stricken area, proposing a, quote, more solid study into the health of the herd and the status of the ecosystem in the management area. Public, private, and state land. According to the BLM, the Sandwash Basin Herd Management Area is about 158,000 acres, about 155,000 acres of public land, 2,000 acres of private land, and 840 acres of state land. There are approximately 896 wild horses in and around the Sandwash Basin HMA. Approximately 746 wild horses within the HMA and 150 ex excess wild horses outside the HMA. The appropriate management level for the HMA 
is between 163 and 362 wild horses. The BLM plans to gather approximately 783 excess wild horses, removing approximately 733 wild horses for future adoption or sale, and returning approximately 50 wild horses back on the HMA. Approximately 25 mares will receive fertility control before being returned to the HMA. The gather is expected to last approximately 14 to 25 days. Wild horse advocates, including the first gentleman, have voiced their opposition to the gather. Sierra Club's Colorado Chapter Wildlife Chair Delia Malone in a letter claimed that it's livestock grazing that has resulted in range damage rather than the horses. Malone asked the BLM to reduce or eliminate livestock grazing, removing livestock entirely for up to 10 years, at which time the range could be reevaluated and the AML for horses determined after, quote, natural population controls are reestablished. Chris Maestas, a spokesperson for the BLM, said the extreme drought conditions will have long-term impact on the range. This is an area that can accommodate 362 wild horses. That's on the upper end, and that's when things are good, he said. In northwest Colorado, with this extreme drought we've had for some time, there has been a great deal of stress on the range. We've had some moisture lately, but for folks who are familiar with the arid west, it takes a while for lands to recover from drought. Recent rains and decreased wildfire activity, he said, does not signal recovery, especially in areas that have been overgrazed by the excess horses. With close to 1,000 head of horses in an area that can sustain just under 400, and we're in an extreme drought, we see the ripple effect one might imagine if one is familiar with livestock and public lands, he said. Most of the domestic livestock grazing has stopped completely in this area because there is no forage available because it's being eaten by the horses. Livestock producers in the area with grazing permits have voluntarily reduced grazing activity by up to 86%. The greater sage-grouse populations in northwest Colorado, he said, increased by 10% last year. However, sage-grouse populations in the Sandwash Basin of northwest Colorado decreased by 26% in the same period. Mestas said that the decrease of the population of the indicator species is a direct result of overgrazing by wild horses. Mastis said he appreciates the interest of the governor and first gentleman having wild horses and said the BLM looks forward to a creative solution to managing healthy horses on a healthy range. Stay the course. Both the Colorado First Conservation District and the White River and Douglas Creek Conservation District sent letters to the BLM expressing their support of the agencies staying the course to remove excess horses to reduce the impacts on the rangeland and other species, despite a push from the, quote, vocal minority. Both conservation districts cited statistics from the U.S. Drought Monitor that indicates 100% of Moffat County is experiencing D3 extreme drought, and 77% of the county is in D4 exceptional drought. The letter from White River and Douglas County, Douglas Creek, excuse me, Conservation District Presidents Mark Etchert and Bill Hume, respectively, included photos taken August 30th in Rio Blanco County, where the Paciance East Douglas HMA is overpopulated. According to the letter, the pictures illustrate the devastation caused by overpopulation of horses. This is not the, quote, thriving ecological balance that the wild-free Roaming Horse and Burrow Act calls for within an HMA, Etchart and Hume wrote. We are confident there are similar impacts to the range in the Sandwash HMA because the numbers of horses have been well above AML for many years. If horse numbers were maintained within the AML, 
We don't believe these devastated impacts, devastating impacts would occur. A letter from the Colorado First Conservation District Board of Supervisors Conser Con Conservation Districts said districts have worked throughout the decades to improve range management in their communities and are devoted to conserving natural resources on all landscapes across our nation through proper stewardship of the land. Wild horse and burrow populations on public lands must be properly managed to, to prevent further deterioration of rangeland resources, the board wrote. Without swift intervention and proper management, the future health and vitality of the western rangeland is in jeopardy. Overpopulation on HMAs, the district said, results in overgrazing of the rangelands, where the consumption of vegetation can reduce <clears throat> biodiversity of plant species, leaving the range vulnerable to invasive species. Soil compaction, where the repeated impact of hooves compact the soil over time. Compacted soil limits, uh, compacted soil limits water infiltration, increases runoff and erosion, inhibits root and plant growth, and restricts nutrient cycling by soil microbes. Degraded wildlife habitat, leading to threats to native and endangered species, with the greater sage-grass habitat being of particular concern. Once gathered, the horses will be made available for adoption through the BLM's Canyon City facility. On the first day of the gather, 65 animals were gathered with 22 stallions, 32 mares, and 11 foals. According to the BLM, additional gather operations may take place in areas outside the HMA on public, state, or private lands where wild horses have moved in search of food and water. This management action is intended to prevent starvation and dehydration of wild horses due to exceptional drought that has further limited forage production and water resources. Broadcaster Brian Almer's unexpected passing leaves hole in Colorado ag media. Rachel Gable. The Fence Post Magazine, August 27th issue. Brian Almer, the owner of Barn, Brian Almer Radio Network, passed away on August 26, 2021, in a Greeley hospital. Almer had been honored by a number of individuals in the Colorado agriculture industry for his work. His colleagues at the Fence Post Magazine joined the state's agriculture industry in mourning the loss of a passionate and dedicated ag broadcaster. Colorado Senator Jerry Sonnenberg wrote, There are people other than our family that we are blessed to have in our life. They are role models, mentors, and people always willing to help anyone that needs assistance. And then there are people that take a relationship to a higher level. Brian Almer was one of those incredible people that will continue to influence my life. Maybe we were incredible friends because we were both driven to be advocates and spokespeople for agriculture. We enjoyed feeding off each other, but Brian was the person that could teach and then share, all the while making sure the person he was working with got the credit. His work as a journalist and an advocate for agriculture was the best in the business. We all remember ag icon Evan Slack and his higher, higher agriculture market reports. While Brian Almer was the Evan Slack of the 21st century and did it in such a way that people would access his news using a number of different medias. When the Brian Almer radio network would come on one of his many stations, I would always turn it up and listen. And more importantly, unlike our major media outlets that only present one side, Brian did interviews and posted news on his website from people he blatantly disagreed with. When people wanted to reach those in agriculture and in rural Colorado, they sought out Brian. Maybe we were good friends because I admired him so much because he set the premier standard of public service in helping the youth. 
It was always a pleasure to catch up with him as he announced the State Fair or the National Western Stock Show. It was even more of a pleasure when I would catch up with him as he would live stream events like the FFA Ag Hall of Fame inductions or smaller agriculture events, which gave others an opportunity to participate. I missed his wonderful voice just last week when for the first year, I can remember, he didn't announce the Feeders and Friends Ranch Rodeo and Fundraiser in New Raymer. Brian was ahead of his time as I remember years ago when he was one of the first to live stream high school athletic events. And he did it because he knew there were people who wanted to be there but couldn't. His dedication and support of youth in both 4-H and FFA, as well as student leadership organizations, was never in question, as he would drive for hours just to be helpful. Or maybe we were friends because I saw his commitment to both God and his family, how he balanced everything he did for agriculture, and yet he and his wife raised an incredible couple of young adults. God was always a priority, and I enjoyed seeing his social media posts with a daily devotion. And his love for his wife was always obvious. His last text to me from the intensive care unit asked me to, quote, please tell her I love her and I am fighting as best I can. Probably the reason we were friends was because he was a shining example of integrity, leadership, love, and humbleness. I want to be like him someday. Rest in peace, my friend, and let me know how the markets are in heaven. In a statement, Colorado Commissioner of Agriculture Kate Greenberg said, I am so deeply saddened to hear the news of Brian Almer's passing. It is a shock to so many and an immense loss for Colorado's agricultural community. Brian was dedicated to agriculture to his core. He always showed his civility and compassion for others and at the end of each of our monthly interviews would offer a blessing of health and happiness. His loss is made even more difficult as we head into the state fair where Brian served as an announcer and broadcaster for the 4-H and FFA events for years. His absence will be deeply felt this year and we will do our best to honor his legacy. On behalf of all of us at the Colorado Department of Agriculture, my deepest condolences to Brian's family, friends, and to all whose lives he touched. The Colorado FFA program was one of the beneficiaries of Almer's time and dedication. The FFA Foundation had this to say. The Colorado FFA Foundation joins with so many around our state in mourning the loss of our friend Brian Almer, one of the most faithful advocates Colorado has ever seen. Brian was a member of the FFA Foundation Board for more than six years. He tirelessly volunteered his time to promote youth in agriculture from broadcasting the Farm Credit Colorado Agriculture Hall of Fame induction events to the state FFA convention, the Blue Jacket Society, and any other occasion where he could help promote Colorado agriculture, especially anything involving young people. Don Thorne, executive director of the foundation, said, Brian had the biggest heart for agriculture and youth. Our heartfelt thoughts and prayers go out to his wife, Connie, his family, and all those he touched through his passion and familiar voice. You will be deeply missed, and only in time will we see just how impactful his effect was on agriculture. Brian went above and beyond. He lived and breathed ag, and his commitment to youth in our community was unmatched. His enthusiasm to serve agriculture, the people who work in it every day, and the youth who are the future was unequaled. Through his company, Barn Media, Brian was a spokesman for all aspects of agriculture. He touched all of our lives with his enthusiasm and tireless energy to be the voice for agriculture. Brian was a role model to us all, and he will be deeply missed. And have we, we have all lost our great friend in agriculture. KSIR Agriculture Director Lori, Bo Lori Boyer broadcast a number of tributes to Almer on her morning agriculture radio show and also said, 
Quote, Brian and I have a long history of working together since he got his start in ag radio at KSIR. I'm so proud of where he went with his career. He had a good heart and had a genuine love for people and wanting to serve them and this agriculture industry. He was, as one of his favorite sayings goes, all that in a bag of chips. Former Colorado FFA state officer and current KRVN and Rural Radio Network farm broadcaster Clay Patton said it was Almer who interviewed him when he was a freshman in high school and sparked an interest in agriculture broadcasting that turned into a career. Patton said he was thankful for Almer's encouragement that day and over the years. Jeff Rice of the Sterling Journal Advocate said, We are sad in agriculture land today. Brian Almer, a leader in the ag journalism field in Colorado, has passed away, a victim of the COVID-19 pandemic. I met Brian when we both worked for Northeast Broadcasting back in the aughts, aught five or aught six, I think. And even then, he was a passionate, hardworking voice for agriculture and rural Colorado. It took me a couple of hours to digest just why his death has hit me so hard, and I finally figured it out. To me, Brian was a leader among those of us who report on agriculture, and I always thought of him being a step or two ahead of me, (laughs) and that was fine with me. He was, after all, broadcast, and those guys are almost always first. (laughs) But I figured as long as I kept up with what he was doing, I was on the right track. It always made me feel good to show up to an event and see Brian there. I knew I was where ag was happening. Now, frankly, I'm just a little lost. I've never had a problem following the leadership of women, so I'll probably turn to Rachel Gable at the Fence Post or Lori Boyer at KSIR or Marion Goodland for leadership. Meanwhile, we will all have to step up and hope we can fill the void left by Brian's passing. He built an incredible ag reporting outlet, and I hope someone can take it over and run with it. Farewell, old friend. Your voice will be missed. Almer worked extensively with Colorado Farm Bureau and was honored by the organization for his dedication and service with the 2019 Service to Agriculture Award. The organization said, there's a barn-sized hole in our hearts today. Brian Almer of the barn was a friend to us all. He was, a dedicate, he was dedicated to agriculture and its people, but he was also a tireless supporter of rural youth. Youth sports, livestock exhibition, FFA, 4-H, Brian was there to help with them all. Brian was the kind of person that holds entire communities together with his time, his dedication, and his voice. Brian is irreplaceable. We are all better off for knowing him, and worse off for being without him. Rest in peace, friend. We're praying for your family. In a 2019 interview with the Fence Post magazine, a rare moment on the other side of the microphone, Almer Almer told Rachel Gable, I don't do it for any awards, he said. We want to get the truth out about what we do in agriculture to the best of our ability. Getting the story out is our thanks. Finally, the Congressional Redistricting Committee has just released a staff map one, which is drastically different from any of the maps that we have seen previously, including the preliminary map. I was one of the Uh, witnesses who added testimony to a remote meeting on the morning of September 8th. This is what I said. I'm Rachel Gable and I'm speaking to you today from my family's commercial cattle operation in Morgan County in northeastern Colorado. Thank you commissioners and staff for dedicating your time and talents to the commission. You're doing important work and I appreciate it. I'm asking you today to abandon the first staff plan congressional district map 
and return to the preliminary map to improve upon without mixing rural areas with urban areas. By drawing such a large southern district, the spirit of competitive districts and communities of interest are both sacrificed, and the voice of rural Colorado is drowned out completely. While southern Colorado appears to be its own community of interest in the staff map, it does so at the expense of every other community of interest. It is not possible for livestock producers in places like Meeker to be adequately represented by someone elected by Boulder voters. Likewise, a farmer in Holly or a cattleman in Carville cannot be adequately represented by someone elected by voters in Fort Collins or Castle Rock. This staff map ignores rural Colorado, widening the already gaping rural and urban divide. The families who shoulder the multi-billion dollar agriculture industry have long been at the mercy of more urban voters, and moving forward, completely ignoring the communities of interest in rural Colorado would be the proverbial nail in the coffin for producers and the communities they keep alive. The current staff map fails rural Colorado by ignoring the different ways in which rural areas and agriculture use water and other resources. It ignores the testimony from around the state and it thumbs its nose at the agriculture industry, an industry that feeds fuels and clothes the remaining 98% of the state. There should be no doubt that rural communities on both slopes are distinct communities of interest. This has been aptly illustrated by urban Colorado voting to reintroduce wolves, failed efforts to use statute and the ballot proposal process to destroy the $4 billion beef industry, and the drastically different needs in terms of health care, education, labor, policy concerns, core beliefs, and the history and stories that the communities are built upon. Please return to the preliminary congressional district map and improve upon it so that rural communities in both eastern and western Colorado have a seat at the table rather than being a featured dish on the menu.